been a little while since uh, two of us got together, Sean, but we're here for another episode of the Swarmcast. David Eichel along with Sean Bach. It's been a little bit depressing covering this team, I think, the last last week. Uh, not too much good news for Iowa fans. It's been a – at least last week, it was a pre- pretty rough one for Iowa, Sean. Yeah, definitely. Both basketball and football struggled pretty bad. Um, football had a chance to win. Basketball never really seemed in the game. I think the only – the only relatively good news was Iowa getting a commitment from three-star center Josh Ogondele, which made some people happy, um, kind of made up for the Xavier Foster news of him going to Iowa State. For most people, I mean, Xavier's a better player right now than Josh is, but I think down the line people will be people will be happy with, with that addition. So, yeah, I mean, you said it, Dave. Hasn't been, hasn't been the most fun week, that's for sure, but I'm sure I'm sure there's better days ahead. Yeah, and, you know, I think something that softens the blow, too, and, you know, it is just we won't go extensive coverage on this, but Iowa women's team actually did get a commitment from five-star guard uh, Caitlin Clark, which was a a massive get for that program. I mean, you're talking about arguably the top prospect in the entire country, and she she's an, she's must-watch television, I think, for, for women's basketball. She could walk on the court. The second she walks on the court in Carver Hawkeye, she's probably gonna be an all conference caliber player. That's a that's a lot of praise. I mean, she's yeah, she's good. She can score in bunches. She's um she's got a little bit of a swagger to it that you like, a little competitive pretty competitive. Um heard she's a great person off the court too, which always helps. And she just when she's on the court, she's a whole different whole different beast. And she's really gonna be a, a nice ad for Lisa Bluter and company. That program's on the rise. That's that's for sure. Yeah, Bluter's done a tremendous job. I think uh, if I read correctly, Caitlin is a two-time gold medalist too with the United States team. So, the, you know, the accolades kind of speak for themselves. But, uh, you know, kind of switching – before we switch topics, Sean, I did want to mention that uh, we're actually uh, – right now Hawkeye Insider is running a sale uh, through this weekend. We get 60% off a new annual subscription. This is for new members only. But it's just over three fifty a month, and that'll take you obviously through both recruiting season, uh, the summer, the basketball season, and basically through most of next football season. And you know, I don't want to pat ourselves too much on the back, but Sh- Sean and I really put out a lot of stuff, and we I mean this is this is exactly what we dedicate ourselves to, and the coverage that we've even had over the past year, it's it's grown in bunches, and I I can confidently say you will be more than satisfied with the money uh you know just for the value of the purchase but new members only just over 350 a month for an annual subscription again new members only but i mean really just over over 10 cents a day just a little bit more than that but uh yeah i mean it's only gonna get better from here i think too sean yep definitely with basketball season coming up i know that's kind of the sport that we really really enjoy doing football too um with the offseason recruiting picks up 2021 only has what Three or, or three commits right now. I'm and trying to think of the top of my head. Yeah, three. Yeah, that's going to start picking up soon, possibly in the next month. Um, if you know, if you subscribe to HawkeyeInsider.com, you know all the details with that. Um, yeah, no, it's a busy time. Uh, crossover season. I'm sure Especially you guys. Especially with spring official visits as well. Yeah, I'm, I was just about to say I know a lot of people like whether it be looking at stuff during class or during work or on your lunch breaks, um, you're really not going to miss anything. We got it. We got it all covered over here. And it's it's been a grind, but it's really enjoyable to see what this site has grown to. 
And obviously Dylan does a very nice job with this scouting reports for basketball games and getting some stuff done on the weekends. Game day thoughts is a really good column he puts out, but yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, I think that the content speaks for itself, but new members only 60% off the annual subscription. Again, guarantee you it's going to be worth your, worth your purchase. But uh, you know, with that being said, Sean, let's kind of dive right into some football. Really. It's been, I think a really frustrating season for Iowa fans. I mean, it's, it's, they aren't where I thought they would be at this point in the year. I thought the offense would be much further along than they are because keep in mind it's it's kind of amazing sean that iowa's six and three and they've only given up 12 touchdowns this season yeah and they're six and three don't they have more touchdown or they have more they have more field goals than they do touchdowns in conference play as well is that right conference in conference play yeah for sure I, i can't give you the exact number but for the season it's 22 touchdowns to 22 field goals and i believe in big 10 play uh, in 15 red zone trips, Iowa's only gotten five touchdowns out of that. I mean, that that's horrific numbers. That's yeah. not efficient offense. When you look at the defensive numbers, too, um, obviously that jumps off. But then when you see the offensive numbers, you're kind of like, oh, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's kind of – I think, Sean, last week against Wisconsin was the first time this season that we really saw Phil Parker's defense kind of break. Uh, Jonathan Taylor ran for 250 yards. Uh, Quintez, two giant catches on their final touchdown drive. Uh, that didn't really, I guess, seal the deal. But at that time, it, it felt like that it was it was a done deal. Right. And we knew going into the game, too, that Wisconsin's offense, the running game, is one of the strengths. I mean, Jack Cohn's obviously done a fine job at quarterback for them, too. Um and the receivers as well, Quintess Cephas and A.J. Taylor are both really good, really good players. But Jonathan Taylor, man, yeah, we saw we saw what he brings and we saw why he should be a Heisman candidate because with his offensive line that he has in front of him, those guys are absolutely huge. Um, we saw what that duo could bring and how a defense like Iowa, who's done who's been so good throughout this year, done a great job in the running tech for the most part, passing game too on defense, how they've done such a good job in those departments. And then Wisconsin just seemed to have their way. And I think that final drive, as you said, Dave, kind of kind of summed up that whole game in general because Wisconsin just ran, just looked like just absolutely ran over the defense. That's I don't know if I don't know if I want to say absolutely ran over, but they seem to have their way more than other teams had with Iowa this year. Yeah, and you know, I, I think Iowa did an okay job until that fourth quarter hit. I mean, that's when yeah. the defense was just absolutely gassed. I mean, they weren't rotating guys out. The linebackers were missing tackles on Taylor because keep in mind, Sean, I think Wisconsin finished the game with 38 minutes in time of possession. Mm-hmm. That's not winning football for Iowa. No. And, you know, it, again, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but, I, you know, I think it's important to realize too. This I So I did some digging post-game. I, I tweet out a bunch of stats, Sean, and I, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on a few of these. But against Iowa State, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin, Iowa has scored a total of four touchdowns. All four of them came in the fourth quarter when Iowa was playing catch-up. Did you tweet out that stat or no? I I tweeted that one out, and that's not really surprising to me. The more I dug into that number, and I think it just goes to show that 
Iowa just has no I, – I, I wrote it earlier in the year too, but it just keeps reinforcing itself. Iowa does not have an offensive identity. I don't think they know what they want to do, and I that's just a huge problem. Granted, it's a lot tougher when the interior of your offensive line is just not played up to par, and that'd be putting it lightly. I mean, the, the guard play has just been non-existent. You know, I, I know I get a lot of people want to get on Nate Stanley, but I really think for the most part, Nate Stanley's played pretty well this season. It really hasn't been all on him. It's hard as a quarterback when in Big Ten play, your team's not even averaging 100 yards a game on the ground, and they're not even averaging three yards a carry on the ground. I mean, Iowa's been so quick to abandon the run game. Uh, keep in mind, Torn Young, I thought, played pretty well. Uh, especially in the beginning of that game, Sean, against Wisconsin. And Tyler Goodson only got five carries in that game. And on that third carry, he broke free for 21 yards in the second quarter, and they stopped going to him. So, you know, I think right now there's just – I was going to have to take a look in the mirror in the offseason and really change some things. Otherwise, nothing will change. And this is going to be a continued, you know, continued sign of things to come going forward. Right, and I was talking about it with a couple people last night, too, just when I was hanging out, and we were just talking about how Iowa has the playmakers this year, but they really haven't seemed to exploit them. I mean, we saw with Tyrone Tracy what he could do against Northwestern Wisconsin on those touchdowns. Even a guy like Tyler Goodson, when you get him the ball, he can make something happen. And Alvin Martin, too. I know you don't want to get too much into this either, but on that play, on that screenplay against Miami, Ohio, the first game of the year, he had, what, seven yards on a play that he should have gotten negative two yards on? Yeah, yeah, that play was yeah. blown up, but he had that first stiff arm, then stiff arm to second guy. Right, yeah. So, I mean, they got playmakers. I mean, Amir Smith-Marset wasn't as used as much against Wisconsin. I think the Badger DBs really keyed in on him, too, because Brandon, with Brandon Smith being out, um, he was kind of the top target for Stanley. But, yeah, I mean – they have the playmakers, they got the they got the speed, but they just haven't really seemed to exploit it and been able to use it like we expected them to. Yeah, you know, it, that is a good point. I kind of tweeted that out as well. I think with nine minutes left in the first half, Emir Smith-Marset, Tyler Goodson, and Makai Sargent didn't even have a touch in the game yet. And that's pretty unacceptable when you're looking at Iowa's offense. And you're exactly right. I think, I think Tyrone Tracy's giving me – gonna need to be the guy going forward even if brandon smith when brandon smith comes back excuse me tyrone tracy has that big playmaking ability i mean he's really shown off these last two weeks i think he's combined for seven catches for 220 yards and a pair of touchdowns he's a guy who's explosive but io has not been you know putting the ball in these these guys's hands so that, I think that's going to be the big test going forward against Minnesota is what's Iowa trying to do? Because, again, the guard play has not been good. I still think Nate Stanley's been – I mean, what's your position, Sean? I think Nate Stanley's played pretty well this season. And, I, you know, if Iowa ran more stuff like they did in that fourth quarter against Wisconsin, who knows how the season may have gone because they were aggressive. They protected Nate Stanley long enough. And despite, you know, however long the throws were, Nate Stanley was delivering complete strikes. I mean, he looked like an NFL quarterback in that fourth quarter. Right. And I think going back to your first question, I think overall Stanley's been fine. I mean, maybe outside of the Michigan game, you kind of say that his season's been, it's been all right. Like there's really nothing that you can really pinpoint out other than that Michigan game where you're kind of like, oh, he was, he wasn't great. Um, and you could partly blame, 
that Michigan game on the offensive line as well, just because Stanley wasn't getting into his drops, wasn't able to because he wasn't getting any time because the Michigan defensive line was just swarming him. And yeah, the run eight, game eight wasn't. Sacks. Eight sacks yeah. and 13 tackles for loss that game. Yeah. And what, negative 64 rushing yards because of the uh, sack thing? Just according to Stanley, yeah, that wasn't for for the game, but that was yeah, that was on Stanley. Yeah, well, they had one rushing yard total because yep. of Stanley's. Yeah, so yeah, I think overall he's done he's done fine. Like you gotta look at all the factors that play into it. He doesn't have his tight ends that he had last year. Granted, he has Brandon Smith and Mir Smith Marset who have really emerged. Nico Regani has shown flashes at times. Um, Tyrone Tracy has been good. Tyler Goodson's been an option in the wide receivers, but yeah, I think I think he's done fine with what he's been handed to him. Um, I don't really know. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Like, if you want to consider, if you're talking draft stock, I definitely think it's dropped just because overall production, maybe just like his numbers too, like compared to some of these other guys that are going way up the board. The only thing I would argue with that, Sean, is when Stanley gets time, he's completing more passes than he has in the past because that was a big deal. And his deep ball outside the Michigan game hasn't looked that bad. So I, I'm interested. I, I could see it dropping, but I could also see where NFL GMs are like, well, if we give him an offensive line, I mean, the guy's got the, the tools. Right. But also look at it this way, too. If you're an NFL team, you want a guy that can throw under pressure. I mean, granted, he's not going to be an Aaron Rodgers where he can throw on the run or he can throw late, like in the pocket when a guy's blitzing at him. He can't get that away. But mm-hmm. you need a guy that needs to be comfortable with that kind of situation. I mean, granted, Stanley's situation has been not ideal this year just because those guys have just absolutely swarmed him and made him really uncomfortable. And he literally has like less than a, like less than two seconds to throw on mm-hmm. some of these on some of these plays. But yeah, I think I, I see where you're coming from. But I just think it's an overall thing where you look at that. If you're an NFL GM, you're like, well, he's not great with the quarterback. Or he's not great with all the guys rushing at him so quickly. So we're not going to take that risk because we want a guy that can handle that pressure and find a way to do something with it when he doesn't have much time. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's an interesting debate for sure and something that we'll talk more, obviously, about after the season. Um, But let's kind of dive in this Minnesota matchup, keep things rolling along. This game is hard for me to get an accurate read on, Sean, because introducing things, Minnesota – been very surprising for me this season. I thought they'd be honestly, I probably thought they'd be where Iowa was right now. I think I thought they'd be six and three coming in this game. Nice season. Not 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 you know, nothing exceptional, but they've taken care of business. They've been good on both sides of the ball. They have that marquee win against Penn State last which is prior wins uh among teams in the top ten this season. But Minnesota comes into Kinnick. They have not won in Iowa City in 20 years. 
but this is the best team probably in my lifetime of Minnesota. So it, it's a really interesting thing, I think, to watch there. And it, it's kind of amazing to me that Iowa is favored by three in this game, but maybe that's because Iowa's won 14 of the past 18 games. But, you know, a couple things I have about this game, Sean, and I, I kind of want to get your take on this as well. First of all, Minnesota's receivers are no joke. Mm-hmm. The three-headed monster with uh, Tyler Johnson, Chris Altman-Bell, and Rashad Bateman, I mean, I I might argue that's the best trio in the in in the Big Ten at least. And Tanner Morgan has been much better than I anticipated him being this season. He's not a guy who wastes a lot of throws. The offensive line's been good for them. And then, you know, they have that trio at, at running back, and they've been able to get things done. So, what's kind of your general read on this uh, this Minnesota team so far? Talent. That's. <laughs> That's that's the main thing, talent and talent that plays well together. PJ Flex seems to really know how to put these, how to put things together. And you got to give their offensive coordinator credit too. What is it, Kirk Kara Kara or something? Is that his name? Yeah, we just probably totally massacred the last name, but that's something like that. The dude's been an absolute yeah. stud for I think this Minnesota team. Yeah, and it's like last year too with Minnesota how. They fired their defensive coordinator middle through the midway through the season, and then Joe Rossi came in and just absolutely did a great job. And I don't want to say it's like that because we knew coming into the year that Minnesota had those playmakers at the skill positions, but we didn't expect quarterback to be like this because Zach Yannick said went down at the beginning of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And people, I think it was like, in fall camp. Wasn't it was it? fall camp, yeah. And people were questioning, like, what the heck, like, what's this team going to do? Like, we have other quarterback options, but we're not sure what, like, they bring, like, from a consistent standpoint. Because Anik said, Anik said was fine last year, if I remember correctly. Like, they were, he was obviously yeah. a freshman, a freshman walk-on. Like, did a fine job, but people were relying on him to take that next step. But he goes down, and then you have a guy like Tanner Morgan coming in who's done an absolute phenomenal job. As you said, Dave, before he just doesn't—he just doesn't waste passes. He knows where to find his receivers. He knows—he just always seems to get the ball to someone. Like if that's whether that be downfield or just those short passes, he just seems to find—he just seems to find his man. And I'd like to just just to clarify about Annex Dad. He is a walk-on, but with that being said, he did have scholarships from Power Five programs. He elected to walk on in Minnesota because I believe he had family from the area mm-hmm. and he felt like he could earn himself a scholarship because it was that open quarterback battle. But no, you're exactly right. And and again, this Minnesota team, they've taken care of business. Kirk Ferentz has been pra- has praised them and said name perceptions part of the problem uh people have with just accepting that, you know, Minnesota's nine and oh, but he he praised their defense, he praised the wide receivers, he praised all the guys that they got. And, you know, I think for me, Sean, it's kind of the obvious, but the big matchup I'm watching, it's going to be how do Iowa's defensive backs handle in one-on-one coverage? Because we've seen a couple of times this season when Iowa plays to their scheme, they're fine. They play really good, solid team defense. But when you get a wider, big wide receiver that's athletic and can get him, Iowa's defensive backs in one-on-one coverage, 
while we've seen what guys can do against that, I mean, the first name that pops to my mind is David Bell. 13 receptions for 197 yards and a touchdown against Iowa. Matt Hankins was benched. Look at last weekend. Remember we mentioned earlier, Quintez Cephas had the uh, two big receptions, I think, for 52 yards and that 27-yard touchdown. Michael Ojemudia got put on the bench after that. And there's three wide receivers on this Minnesota team that are more than capable of doing that to Iowa's defensive back. So I'm in really interested to see what Phil Parker comes up with to try and negate that because if they get going, you know, that they might put up more points on Iowa than any team they faced. Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't count out that opinion. I, I think you bring up a good point there. Just this Minnesota offense, just the way they run things too, they're a bunch of RPO action. Um, not like similar to Iowa State in a way, but I think you look at Minnesota and they have more proven playmakers at wide. I mean, granted, Iowa State's Iowa State's wide receivers are quick, fast, everything. But I think Minnesota, if you're looking NFL wise and just production wise, you're like, okay, these kids, these kids can play. These kids can flat out play. They know mm-hmm. what to do with the ball in their hands. They know how to get open. They just seem like they're going to be a huge problem for this Iowa team. I mean, I know Phil Parker is going to come ready with something something up his sleeve to try and limit them, but after that game last week, I think he kind of had to question and One, I mean, no, I mean, not question Phil Parker at any means because he's done – he's been phenomenal. He's the reason why this, this Iowa team has won six games probably, or at least most of the games – most of the close games at least. Yeah, but yeah, probably – yeah, he's been he's been great, and but this Minnesota team, just the momentum that they have, and just what we saw against Penn State, I don't want to I don't want to speculate what Penn State's mo- motive was coming into the game because I think Kirk hit it on the nose this week when he said that's the it's the brand, it's the name brand. People don't people don't put football, great football, in Minnesota together. They're kind of still people aren't really sold on them. I think Penn State might have had that coming into the game, but. They quickly mm-hmm. learned that that's that's not the case, and I think that's the same thing with this. I mean, Iowa knows what Minnesota brings. They saw it last week against Penn State, um, but I think you really don't get that until you step on the field with them and see and see how those guys perform. No, exactly, and you know, I don't think Iowa's gonna make that same mistake. And it's one of those things too where it, it's really interesting to me, Sean, because I've heard people. I've seen people on Twitter, on our message boards. I'm surprised at how confident Iowa fans are right now, especially with what went down last weekend against Wisconsin. But I think Iowa fans really expect to win this game. I and I do think I do not, think I'm this. Not, I do think this. I think if Christian Welch comes back, which is which could be a possibility, I think that would be a big boost. I would feel more confident. That's for sure. You bring up a good point there, too, because it's not that Dylan Doyle and Jack Campbell are going to be bad players in the future, but they've been thrust in a very important role in this Iowa defense, and it's hard for any any young guy to come in and play significant snaps with Iowa's defense, and especially how much Bill Parker expects out of his guys and they throw him, because Iowa's now one scheme team. They ran some 4-1. I think they ran some uh, the 4-2-5. Uh, Last weekend they ran, you know, typical four three. Iowa ran or three or four different schemes last week, and those guys had to know all of that. And 
you know, it's interesting. It is a good point. And Christian Welch is still a second lean. He's been gone for what? Three weeks now, Sean? Three games? Sounds right. He's still the second lean tackler on this team. Like, that's how far ahead he was of everybody. Jack Kerner had since uh, taken him over. But, yeah, Christian Welch just being a guy over the middle, a reliable tackler when Minnesota, if Minnesota tries to go ground and pound. But he's a guy who also – it's going to make Tanner Morgan think a little bit, and he's a pretty decent blitzer. And we've already kind of touched on the the wide receivers of Minnesota, but I do want to throw a couple numbers. Rashad Bateman leads the Big Ten with 24 yards a catch. And he's averaging 93 yards a game, which is third uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, he's a guy that they're going to go deep to all the time. And he he makes people pay. Uh, Chris Altman-Bell, 60% of his 20 catches have resulted in a first down or a touchdown. And really, nobody nobody's slowed down Minnesota's passing game this season. Tanner Morgan is averaging nearly 17 yards uh per completion this season, which is, that's a winning number. I mean, that's a really winning number. So this is going to be one of the most interesting challenges, I think, for this Iowa team coming into this game. But, you know, kind of flipping back to the Iowa offense, you got to get Tyler Goodson some significant carries because you got to find a way to, to have some sort of spark early in games. You already heard me mention against the four teams Iowa's played, you know, with respect to the other teams, four teams with a pulse, they got four total touchdowns and they all came in the fourth quarter. Iowa needs playmakers and they need to get the ball because in, I already talked about Sean, how they don't have an offensive identity. Here's a couple things that I want to point out. The first play of the game against Wisconsin, Iowa runs that bootleg rollout, that 16 yard completion to Sam Laporta. Great opening play call. I thought by Brian team executed it. No other passes went to Sam Laporta the rest of the game. Tyler Goodson, 21-yard run, two more carries the rest of the game. Torn Young runs the ball, I think, seven or eight times in that first half, averages five yards carry, maybe one carry the second half, maybe not even one. I mean, those are the things where you just sit back and you just say, what are you trying to accomplish? And it, it, it's just kind of mind-boggling to me at least. Because it seems like it's almost like we're watching a glorified practice. You're watching Iowa run all these different things to see if they work and if they actually want to use it in a game. But they're actually using it in a game and not sticking to what's working. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Yeah, no, I you I I agree with everything you said there. Um, there's just so many question marks that you have. I mean, obviously, you don't want to question the coaching or anything or the play calling because that's unfair. Because we never we never been in their shoes. But there's just some plays where even the common fan kind of looks at it and they're like, "What the heck is happening here? Like, <laughs> what what was the motive yeah. behind this?" And it's kind of it's frustrating because. You see what Iowa has on this offensive, on this team, especially on offense with all those playmakers and how 
capable they are of making something happen. And we saw it with Tyrone Tracy. And you're kind of like, well, why isn't that happen more? Like, I know, I know defenses are able to pick up on that stuff and like, it's not going to be there every time, but it's proven that it can beat teams. So why not do it again? You know? No, exactly. <clears throat> and again, you know, I think for that long touchdown throw, uh, I believe it was Kirk that set post game or I mean, I think it was Nate. Excuse me. That they expecting zone coverage, got man coverage on Tracy. That's when the read switched to Tracy. So Nate switched around three different reads on that play and hit him, but it paid off, but that's what great teams do. I mean, that's what good offenses do. They they adjust during the play to find something that works. So, we'll we'll, we'll kind of wrap, we'll kind of wrap things up at the end of the podcast. We'll you know give some keys to the game. Uh, we'll go a little bit more in depth. But I do want to say before we switch over to basketball, real quick, Iowa's got to run the football. No, no doubt, they have to run the football. Iowa cannot survive with a single a one-dimensional offense, and they got to put pressure on Tanner Morgan. I think A.J. Epinesa needs to play his best game of the season, even though he's been far from bad this season. I mean, Epinesa's put up great numbers. You can look at his numbers, and you can say, oh, he's been so disappointing this year. The guy is being double or triple teamed every play, and he's second in the in the conference in quarterback pressures. And guess who he's beating, even prior to last week? Chase Young. And Chase Young's stats are a lot more gaudy than than Epinesa's. So switching over to the basketball side of things, it's been not much better than football. Uh, I think we're a lot of fans. Uh, Sean, you've obviously watched the first two games. But, I mean, it's early in the season, so I, I try to avoid broad generalizations about, you know, about the team. I don't think that's fair to them because, I mean, we look what happened. Number one, Kentucky at home in Rupp Arena when they played Evansville. They fell. They didn't look like themselves. But what, what's kind of your take about this Iowa team through two games? I mean, you said it still early. A lot, lot of basketball left to be played. And I think last year, too, I mean, I know Iowa was really good during non-conference play, but the non-conference schedule was not not overly fantastic. I think DePaul, too, is a team that is not going to finish in the basement of the Big East this year. That's for sure. They got a bunch of studs from, like, the Nike UIBL circuit. Um, arguably the best circuit, AAU circuit. A bunch of the guys that were on the top teams there, top scorers too. Um, <clears throat> and Charlie Moore, who didn't play that much, but is going to be a really big piece for them. Um, so I think first things first, you got to look at DePaul there and be like, they're not a bad team. They're gonna <clears throat> they're gonna find a way to compete in the Big East this year, and they're gonna find a way to win a couple games. But yeah, I think. It's still early. That's all I can really say at this point. They're still trying to work out some kinks. Um, I think Joe Toussaint is a guy that you want to consider for the starting lineup in a couple down the line, maybe before the calendar year ends. Um, CJ Frederick's mm-hmm. a guy I've been really impressed with. I think Fran Fran has been talking him up since he got him on board uh, a little two years ago. So he's been great, great shooter, great perimeter player defensively he's done fine he's still trying to get his confidence a little bit because he's still technically a freshman because this is his second second college game the other day so he's still trying to get his feet wet i'd like to see more out of jack nunji i think that's kind of what all what all of us really want to see just because we've heard so much Mm -hmm. about him during the offseason and during his redshirt year putting on the weight and getting more getting more 
developed as a whole on both sides of the floor and from mental and just physical standpoint. People want to see more out of him. Um, Luca Garza, Jack Nunji. Luca's done fine. There's some he's still trying to get used to playing with guys that have more attention on him. Joe struggled obviously against DePaul, but he's gonna figure it out. So I don't know if there's really a way that I can kind of describe how this team is gonna end um, or how they played really. I know I mean they hadn't played great, but I think you still gotta look at where they're at in the season. And kind of look at the whole body of work, too, because they're without Jordan Bohannon, probably their unquestioned leader at point guard. I mean, no, they have him, but he's not 100%. He's, he's not. It's not even close to 100%. <clears throat> no. I mean, Fran uses these big adjectives at times, and that's just kind of the character he is. Jordan's not – I mean, not that he's not looking good because he's still making some plays, but he does not look like himself. He's still <clears throat> a step slow. I don't think he's conditioned properly. You know, God, God bless him because he, he's given it his all. But, I mean, he, I still think he probably needs to sit out this season. And I'm wondering when they decide to make that call because if he plays this season, it's going to be a really interesting call that I think both parties would regret, regret in the future. But I agree. To, to I agree 100%. Yeah, to kind of dive into, you know, I do think C.J. Frederick, I'm glad you brought him up because I thought that second half that he, the second half he played against DePaul, not Seton Hall, by the way, it's DePaul. Uh, I, I put Seton Hall about four times in my game right up. I don't know why I got them confused. But anyway, Frederick had 13 second half points, drove the ball extremely well, played very physical defense. I think one of the few guys that played decent defense that night along with Joe Toussaint, they're probably the two guys that actually played defense in that game. Frederick showed a lot. Luca Garza, I think, needs to – and it's kind of interesting to see him this season because, <clears throat> and the, you know, how he reacts to double teams. You could almost see it coming. If you turn on the film from last season when he, when he would get doubled, you know, he just put the ball down and, you know, use his body to kind of bang down low and then would find a way to either get fouled or put up the shot. But that's not going to work this season when he commands the kind of attention that he's going to get. Joe Wieskamp, I don't think really anybody's worried about him. I do think that Joe needs to become more of a shot creator. And I think that's a big thing that people need to look at and what he needs to look at to kind of get better. Um, Because, I mean, in all reality, he is going to have to create his own shot, especially the way defenses are going to key in on him. And I like what you said about Joe Toussaint, but I'd also like to preface this by saying I don't think Connor deserves a lot of the crap that he's getting because there are problems right now that go far bigger than Connor McCaffrey on the team. Connor has been a good passer. He's been hitting his shots, and I think that's the big thing I've noticed out of him. He's not hesitating from three, and he's been making some threes early and keep in mind I think he only had made six of them last year I think he's already got three in the bag this year he's pulling up confidently and that's huge I think just you know in terms of how defenses play against Iowa so I think Joe Toussaint brings an element to the team where he needs to start and I think Connor and this is not an indictment on Connor I think Connor is the perfect backup point guard for what Iowa needs a guy if he can hit threes he can run the offense He's big, he's physical, he's a leader on that team, and he's a good passer. And that's exactly what you want out of your backup point guard. Another leader off the bench that can come in and, and get things done. And I'll throw it back to you in a second, Sean, but I do want to bring up, you brought up Jack Nunji. 
it was interesting to hear Fran and and you know Jack Nunji, by the way, did show up in front of the media, which I think was a big deal, at least you know to my to me uh, that he struggled that bad, and he still showed up to the media and talked pretty openly about his struggles. And Fran said that he had a lot of conversations with him in the past few days. And he just said, look at these stats from practice. And it was five to six weeks worth of stats. And Fran just said, you are, you have been the most consistent guy night in and night out of practice. You can do it, but it's about not getting in your own head. that it's a game. I mean, if Nunji can start, you know, if he can show that consistency, rebounding the ball, being an impact down low, altering shots, stepping out, hitting a three. I mean, I'm not even talking about double-digit scores, Sean. If you can get him to average eight to nine points and six rebounds a game, I think that's a tremendous contribution, and I think that'd make a huge impact for the team. And with his skill set, and again, I know a lot, it's really cool for the hot takes to come after two days, but I do think he has the skill set to do it because keep in mind, literally everybody from coaches to players have only brought have brought him up first when you're talking about improvement and consistency they don't plan that out jack's earned that praise but now it's about him going into a game and doing it right and i think he's gonna he's gonna find a way to overcome it i'm not too worried about him um i think that's just the whole redshirt thing coming off i mean it's weird going from just practicing all the time to not to playing you know like it's a totally different animal practicing against mm-hmm. your teammates or even in the close scrimmages and for you do that for a whole year and not play in a game like a real game it's going to be an adjustment now i think he's he's still trying to work some stuff out i think he's still trying to understand how great of a or how how much improvement he's made because i mean there's a difference between how he is now and how he was when he's a freshman as fran has said he's more improved his confidence seems to be up especially during practice. I mean, we didn't see in the first two games, but he's shown that he's grown, and I think he needs to realize that, and I think he will at some point. But I think it's too early to really kind of put the negative put the negative remarks on him because I think he's going he's gonna to figure it Throw out. Throw him to the wolves already, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it is. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, pick six has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Yeah, and, you know, and to kind of touch on, Oral Roberts is not going to be the epitome of an easy game as well because they, they went on the road to Oklahoma State, only lost by five. They won the road against Tulsa, only lost by seven. They've given they're an undersized team, and I think Luca Garza, and I think this is a perfect opportunity for Jack Nunji to really get going uh, with his skill set. Um, so this Friday's game will be interesting to me. Oral Roberts is averaging ten steals a game. They got three guys in the starting lineup averaging, you know, almost fifteen points a game. Uh, Given foul trouble early, I think it'd be massive. But you know, another guy I would like to see get going a little bit more, and I and Fran brought this up as well as Bakari Evelyn. I think he's another guy that people are just throwing to the wolves early. He's he's still trying to get adjusted. 
he this I mean he's the first time he's been healthy and in two years essentially and he's learning with a full new team and he's really trying to understand his role because you watch him he's been passing up shots I think he's a little bit nervous still and I granted I know he's a he's a graduate transfer but he still looks nervous and I think that's a big thing Fran wants to get him a little bit more run I think Patrick McCaffrey is going to be a really good player for this team and I think Right now, folks are split on him. Don't be split. Buy stock because the kid's really, really good. I've been high on him since I first watched him play in person. He's going to be a player. Very good natural feel of the game. And, you know, I'd like to see him get a little bit more run as well. I mean, there's a lot of bodies on this team. Ryan Creener, I thought, played fantastic against DePaul. I mean, he was the main reason why Iowa, you know, was only down by 20 at the end of the, you know, nearing the end of the first half. Um, I expect Jody to get going. I mean, people got to realize, and I, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me here, Sean, but I do think this team has the pieces to get things to work. They got to play better defensively and they got to learn how to overcome early deficits and they got to learn how to start fast. But if you're talking about a full skill set of a team, these guys, this team has pieces. It's just about getting it all together and they're going to have to get together fast because this schedule is not going to calm down. No, no. I <clears throat> excuse me. I think they will. I'm I'm confident. I think it's still just like I said, working on some early season kinks. Um, they're still pretty fairly young. Um, outside of like a guy like Luca Garza or Ryan Greener and Cordell Pemzel, but yeah, the schedule doesn't get much easier. It's not it's not gonna be easy, but that's that's the that's the conf- that's the non conference slate they asked for and that's that's what they're gonna get. And I think they did a good job of scheduling it this hard because it's going to prepare them well for for what's next, which is conference play, and that's not going to be easy either. Especially with the way teams like Ohio State are looking right now because Ohio yep. State looks like they could be the best team in the Big Ten. Yep, yeah, so, 100%. So we'll, we'll, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about this, you know, following the weekend, how Iowa performed Friday, what we saw along with the uh, – Minnesota game, but really quick, Sean, I know Iowa is still weighing on one national letter of intent before they officially announced their class of 2020 for basketball recruiting. I'm assuming it's Josh Ogundele. Uh, We don't need to really dwell on this, but I do think it'd be a good idea to give our listeners, I know a little bit of a breakdown of each player. I know we do right now on HawkeyeInsider.com 24-7 sports have a 10 things to know about this class. I think it's a, you know, I think you did a very, you know, swell job with that. Uh, but let's kind of go through player by player quick and just spout off a couple quick things that stand out about their game. Uh, we'll start with right at the top, the first commit of the class, who I think is going to be a, a steal for Iowa. And the last name is going to sound familiar to people. Um, Aaron Eulis. Sean, what, what should people know about Aaron Eulis? Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, remember the name Tyler Eulis. Iowa was recruiting him hard. I think it was 2014 was when he graduated. Yes. That sounds about right. I think 2014. Yeah, because yeah. I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior. So his the name sounds familiar. And I think, I mean, obviously Aaron's a bit taller, listed at six foot two, a buck 85. So he's got more size than Tyler did. But I'll say this: there, U.S. is a winner. That's that's the one thing I can say about him that I know for sure. Um, he's great size, great intelligence, really good intangibles, quick, knows how to work with the ball in his hands, can set up others, can score. But I think the one thing you're going to get out of him is winning. And 
at the high school level, he's got to score points to help his team win. He's got to do, he's got to dish out a ton of assists, um, rebound everything. But I think once he gets to Iowa and once he really gets the keys to the offense, people are going to see that he doesn't need to do that often. He's just going to find ways to get guys the ball in spots that he wants. He's going to play defense. He's just going to work hard for you. And I think that's what you want in a player. He's a really good athlete. Um, he's a workhorse, too. I know a lot of the guys, a lot of the college coaches that I've talked to said he's constantly in the gym, constantly trying to get better, knows what it takes, knows what it takes to win. In the past two seasons, the high school level, he's won 50-plus games combined, which is which is really, really good considering who he plays against in, in one of the tougher conferences in Chicago and the ESCC. And I'll have a tough time this year too with some of the other with the schedule that they have. So he's a guy that you want on your team. And I think Iowa did a good job um, landing him and really seeing how much he improved this summer. Cause I think his basketball is, is ahead of him. I think Tony Perkins too is something similar to that. The three-star guard out of Indianapolis, Lawrence uh, North. Um, I get central. Yeah, North it's, Lor- Lor- I think it's, I think it's Lawrence North. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. He's he's similar to Ulysses, but in terms of like just pure knows the game, understanding and stuff. But I think the thing with him is defensively, he's that's his strength right now. He's really athletic, very sound on the perimeter, can guard your best player, best scorer. But I think the thing with it, that's going to be his role early on. But offensively, he needs to work on some things. I think from a standpoint of when to shoot, when to in not. the half court, in the half court, yeah. in the half court, primarily. Yeah. His fast break. I mean, he can finish, I think with the best of them in fast break, but the half court offense uh, is especially when he's work on before we dive into Tony Perkins, I did want to say, and I'm sorry if you mentioned it about Ulysses, the one thing that stands out to me along with winner, he's a leader. I mean, he's a guy that you want leading your team. He understands, you know, the kind of attention he has, he understands the responsibilities of being a leader. He understands being accountable and he's a guy that you probably he has the mentality of a guy that you you'd want to you know hand the keys to your program off to. I'm mm-hmm. not saying he'd be your best player, but in terms of intangibles and leadership, I mean he's the guy. 100%, yeah. And back to Tony, um I think yeah, offensively he needs to refine on some things. I think his shooting will come along. Um athletically, he like you said Dave, he's one of the top finishers that I've seen and just needs to put everything together. Great athlete. I think he'll use that well in his early part of his career and as his career progresses. But there's definitely some things he needs to work on. But, I mean, people ask for it. They ask for guys who can guard on the perimeter, very quick, very physical, very aggressive, and you're going to get it in Perkins. So if that's what you ask for, that's what you're going to get. No, for sure. And, you know, I think it's a very good, you know, I, I get people want to get wrapped up in the stars. They want to get wrapped up of, you know, all oh, Iowa's not landing their top targets and all this stuff. And that, you know, it's fair to some extent, but I think Fran does deserve credit, which I don't think people are giving him enough of. He's recruiting guys to fit the needs of his team. You wanted tough defensive minded guards. Look at Joe Toussaint. Look at the production he's given you just as a true freshman right now through a few games. I mean, he cares about playing defense. I know I'd argue maybe more than any guy on the perimeter. He loves it. And Tony Perkins is another guy who's going to pride himself on playing strong defense. Aaron Ulis, probably not his strength, but like I said, he has the workmanship and the leadership to want to grow in that area. So do you want a quick athletic 
guards that can get in the paint, finish at the rim, kick out for you know an open teammate for a shot, and that want to play defense, he's getting you those guys now. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they adjust accordingly with that, you know, going to be in their back pocket in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And on to the Murray twins too, out of uh, DME Academy in Florida, both to graduate from Cedar Rapids Prairie, 2019 grads, a Prairie guys that really didn't have many D1 looks coming out of high school. So they went to the, went to the post-grad and this summer they really opened eyes um, this fall too. They really got more suitors and mid-major, high-major schools were showing love. West, Western Illinois offered. And then Iowa ended up offering on their official visit. And people were like, whoa, like what? Like what? when did this come? What? Why was this? But I think with these two, I, after talking to a excuse me, decent amount of people about these two, I think you're just going to get – you're just going to get guys that want to work, want to get into the gym, want to get – their craft to where it needs to be in order to perform at a big 10 level. And right now, I mean, they're most, they're six foot eight, six foot seven, fairly skinny. Um, not the biggest frames, but they can shoot, they can shoot, they can score. They're working on their post game. I think when they add a little more strength on to their frame, they're going to become guys that you can kind of finish or ones that you can finish on the interior and finish amongst the trees because they're pretty athletic too. They're getting better at that. So that's a big plus, but right now what you're getting is kind of three and D forwards, which at six foot eight is interesting because a lot of the three and D guys you talk about now are kind of like six foot four, six foot five, six three, what have you. But I think these guys are gonna they're three and D right now in my mind, but they're gonna develop into something a little a lot better, I think. I'm right now I'm I'm pretty sold on them in terms of upside because I know they're gonna get better. I know they're going to find ways to improve. I know they're going to find ways to get onto the court eventually. Um, it's just a matter of being patient with them because they've come they've come a long way in the past year or so. They've really improved, really starting to grow into their bodies more and really have been adjusting to the game. And I think to a DME Academy playing against some of the competition that they play down there is really going to help them in kind of the strength program that they have and really the skill, give them a year to focus on their skills and get right to the next level and they'll be There'll be guys that I don't want to say are retro candidates right away, but guys that you can that will come into the system ready to compete. I don't know how much they'll play. That's kind of depends on what they improve mm-hmm. over the offseason or over the next year and kind of what the team situation's looking like next year. Sure. And I, you know, I think another thing too, Sean, is a couple of things. I think the versatility with them is a pl- a huge plus. I mean, it's it's one of those high risk, high reward guys, but at least from the signs that we've seen, I, I do think it's going to be a pretty high reward. I mean, these, like you said, these guys can shoot. The best part I think about this for Iowa, which I don't think many people realize, I wrote about this in my 10 things to know. They're similar players, but they have very different strengths at the same time. You can play them on the floor together. They, they can guard positions one to four, two, two to four. Um, they can rebound. They they can run the fast break together. Uh, Keegan's more of a pull up shooter, which his I think his old AAU coach described as elite, elite pull up jumper. Maybe the best he's coached or been around. Chris is aggressive. Chris wants to get to the rim. He he knows how to finish in traffic. And I think if you you're getting a pair of six foot eight guys that can shoot the ball and have great worksmanship, and on top of that, 
their legacies. I mean, this is, I mean, I know they want to build their own legacy, but there are going to be extra eyeballs on them because their dad was one of the more loved players. You know, I think in the past 30 years, of, you know, 30, 40 years of Iowa basketball, very hard nosed defender. They know what it takes to play defense. And, you know, I, just like you, Sean, I was very, you know, I, my eyebrows raised when they offered them, but after watching the film and watching them in the, the first game uh, that was streamed online, I mean, they look like they're going to be better. And with that kind of upside, I think it's more than okay to take a, take a gamble on them because at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be as big of a gamble as a lot of people think. I think there's a lot of upside with them and worse comes to worse. I still think they find a way to contribute during their career in a pretty decent way. I'm not saying they'll be superstars, but they will be guys that can maybe at, at absolute worst, you know, fifth and sixth guy, sixth and seventh guy on the team, not starters, but maybe key, key bench guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sold on them, but they, they've been impressing me. Uh, with the shots that they made for the past year. Definitely. And I think, too, missing on Xavier Foster is going to hurt Iowa fans but to Iowa State. But I think I think Iowa is going to be happy with Josh Ogundale at Worcester Academy in Massachusetts. He brings a lot to the table. I've compared him a lot to Nick Ward. And his high school coach said that a lot of college coaches have likened him to Zach Randolph, not saying he's going to become Zach Randolph, but just that they're similar games, a similar build. Um, both lefties kind of play more below the rim. Big men at six foot nine, six foot ten, but can shoot it from distance. Um, Josh conditioning something he needs to work on. He's planning on losing a couple more pounds over the next year, which will help his vertical, help him get some more some more leaping ability, which will definitely help his cause because he's very physical with his size. Um, pretty tough down low, good rebounder, good area rebounder, which means that he's kind of not a great rebounder outside of the paint, but Man, once he gets inside the paint, his high school coach is saying he's like an automatic bucket just because he's so good with his feet, has a really good soft touch around the rim, and really knows how to finish down low. So there's a lot to like about him. I don't, I think, I don't know how big of an impact he makes his first year on campus because assuming Luke Garza and Jack Nungie are here and Cordell Pimsel, the way it seems right now, he'll be back too. So he won't have to play a huge role early on, but I do think he's going to be someone that helps down the line without a doubt. But yeah, you know, Ogundaly, I think he's exactly what Iowa fans have been wanting from the center position. This is not a shot against Luke Garza at all, but Garza is much more of a finesse big man, uh, can hit out, you know, step outside, hit a three. But Ogundaly is the guy who's, who can just physically wear down opposing teams. Big bruiser, that tank, that force in the middle. That's a good paint rebounder, just a big body that commands double teams. And I believe his coach, you, you talk to his coach, uh, or, you know, I think today or yesterday, he said people don't realize how good of a passer he is. He looks for guys uh, on the perimeter to kick out to if he gets doubled or, you know, maybe a pass inside if he's outside the low block. Now, Ogundale does need to improve his right hand. He's a much, you know, he's, I don't want to say one-dimensional, but he easily finishes a lot better with his left than his right. Has a couple of good go-to moves. Um, I think losing the weight would be a big help for him because it'll help his perimeter game as well. He can shoot that without his legs getting tired. But there's a lot to like here, I think. I mean, he's a guy that, again, Iowa fans have been wanting. They want that big bruiser, and they want a quick athletic guards that love to play defense. I mean, Fran delivered. Now it's about developing that talent. 
and seeing what they can do with it. So I, I, you know, this won't be a class that grabs a bunch of headlines, you know, won't have that star power that I think a lot of people wanted out of this class, but all in all, I do think that this is going to be a pretty good class. Now, Fran is done, you know, with the fall in terms of recruiting, he could pick up a sixth guy in spring. I mean, who knows, depending on Bakari Evelyn, maybe Fran wants to explore the graduate transfer market, but but for now, I think this is this is the class of 2020 for Iowa. And, you know, again, not great star-wise, but I, I think there's a lot of potential here. I, I really do. I think that about sums it up for us. We kind of touched on everything. Obviously, the football game. Uh, please stay tuned to our picks this weekend if we, you know, if we think Iowa can pull off the – I don't even know if I want to call it an upset since they're favored by three, but to me it'd be an upset. They can pull off the upset against Minnesota. Iowa's got to run the ball. They need to protect Nate Stanley and they got to get pressure on Tanner Morgan because if you allow him to sit back, you know, fire darts to his receivers, it could be a long day for Iowa if the defense doesn't come ready to play. And if Iowa just can't sustain drives, which has just been the killer for them uh, all season. Uh, but yeah, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 sports, 60% off for annual subscription, new members only, but again, well worth it. We're going to have so much content, even just over the next month with football signing day. I mean, we put out, what we do, Sean, on signing day itself last year, we put out over 30 articles in, in 24 hours. I mean, it was something ridiculous. Yeah, something along those lines. And obviously, with basketball, we got a lot. I mean, the content never really slows down, and we're, we're dedicated to this. So consider it. Uh, know a friend, tell a friend. All, all that kind of good fun stuff. We'll be back down what we've seen uh, from, you know, Iowa on Friday night when they play Oral Roberts and obviously Saturday's matchup against Minnesota. But yeah, until then, th- thanks for listening and take care. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+.